Hey, welcome into the Joel Klatt Show. I am Joel Klatt, and welcome to the off-season of the Joel Klatt Show. And we're going to have a lot of content for you throughout the off-season, so stick with us because uh, it's actually going to be quite interesting. We're going to go through a, a, a number of different topics during the course uh, of the off-season, and we got you all covered all the way through the draft, uh, through spring football, and then we'll talk about the sport more overarching with some of the uh, most influential people in the sport. Um, so looking forward to that. Listen, you can follow us on social media here at Joel Klatt Show, at Joel Klatt Show on any of the social medias. You can also follow me personally at Joel Klatt on Twitter, at Joel Klatt, uh, at Joel underscore Klatt on Instagram. Okay, uh, make sure to rate and review us, follow the show, subscribe, all of those things. This edition, though, I wanted to kind of get in front of what are our expectations for the 2023 season? What are the teams um, that that you should be paying attention to, in particular this offseason through spring ball, um, and and basically way too early top ten? Let's get after it. What what is uh, next season going to look like? And shocker, it's going to look a lot like the last ten years in college football. But there's there's some small differences, and I think some exciting differences, to be quite honest with you, um, as we saw this year in college football. So I'm going to go through my way too early top ten. I've got a whole different tier of teams that I was debating putting into that top 10, right in that kind of like eight, nine, 10 category. So I got a whole category of teams in the almost section. And then we'll talk about some teams that we feel like could make a, take a big leap, leap and, and climb up the, the standings and, and be some real climbers like we saw this year in 2022. So let's get started. Top 10. I tweeted it out a couple of days ago, and I know you've had time to stew on it and everything, and I've gotten all the reaction on, on my Twitter, and I know that some people were happy, some people were not happy. Let's just go through what my decision-making uh, process was like. Where was my mind when I was ta uh, talking about and, and uh, putting together this top 10? Let's start with what I would deem as tier number one. Okay, so you see all the top 10 right now, but I only want you to pay attention to those first four teams. So we're talking about Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and Alabama. And those were my tier one teams. Okay, I, it, as I'm looking at this, there was no other team that I could really put into that category. These are the top four teams in college football. Obviously, what Georgia has done has put them at the top. So the first thing that I did was put Georgia at number one. I, th there should be no question about that. They are the kings of college football, and now everybody else is chasing. They just completed a 15-0 season. They're back-to-back -back national champions, and they did it with a former walk-on quarterback, albeit a 37-year-old you know, you know, dental major that hasn't gotten his degree yet. I don't know if he's a dental major. He's not, and he's not 37, but you get the point. This program's not going anywhere. They are the kings of college football, and they run college football. So Kirby... What he's done at Georgia, this team is the number one team, and they're going to be the number one team entering next season, at least in my estimation. They've earned that spot. So then you're left with the, the remaining three of that top tier. Okay, So the tier one teams now, you've got to decipher between Michigan, Ohio State, and Alabama. And let me first say, I think that you could put those teams in any order and be fine and be correct. You know, so you know, th these are not big margins at least in my estimation between these three teams. Now, I think Bama fans would disagree with that and think that Bama has been or should be elevated over what Michigan and Ohio State are, but like 
fact remains, Bama lost a couple of games this season, and they don't bring back quite as much as Ohio State and certainly not as much as Michigan. So when I'm looking at Ohio State, Michigan, and Alabama, two of those teams don't have a quarterback coming back. And one of the teams don't really have anybody that I know about that I can tangibly say I rely on him on either side of the ball. And that's kind of where Bama is at. Listen, they've got great players. There's no doubt. No one's recruited like Alabama. But they don't have the players like a Marvin Harrison Jr., a Mecca Buka, or even JT Tuimoloau, right? Like they're replacing some very good players. And so it's for that reason that the second move I made was I put Alabama at four. I thought that that was Georgia at one and Alabama at four. And then it was some sort of discussion with Michigan and Ohio State. And the fact remains is that when you look at what Michigan is going to bring back next year, now, we'll, we'll see what the decision is with their coach, Jim Harbaugh, but when you look at what they bring back, just from a playing perspective, their best players this last season in a really remarkable year were all young players. Guys like J.J. McCarthy, Donovan Edwards, Blake Corum, who's coming back, Junior Colson, the linebacker, um, Will Johnson, the corner. Uh, they've, they've got some really good players on the line of scrimmage that are coming back. They did a great job in the transfer portal getting players that will plug and play in the areas where they need them to plug and play, namely the offensive line. So Michigan went to number two because they've just got more returning and, and more that I can rely on, specifically a quarterback and a lot of talent both on the defensive and offensive side, and that lands Ohio State at number three. And I spent the most on this tier because I wanted to at least just walk you through you know, why I made the decisions and, and put the placements that I did. Ohio State gets the nod over Alabama because I, I trust that Ryan Day is going to get a quarterback ready when that quarterback has the benefit of throwing to guys like Marvin Harrison Jr. on the outside. Cade Stover's coming back. They're going to have a healthier running back room. I know there's questions on the offensive line, but let's be honest, this skill position group is going to be one of the best skill position groups in the country. And so for that reason, I really don't have a doubt that whoever plays quarterback for Ohio State should have a remarkable season. There hasn't been a quarterback struggle under Ryan Day. Just haven't haven't seen it. Back to his days, really, even to Boston College. So, you know, this guy's got a great track record. You can say the same for Alabama. There's no doubt, but we just don't know what the skill positions are going to look like, like we do at Ohio State. So the top tier, the top four teams, that's how I settled on Georgia, number one, Michigan, number two, Ohio State, number three, and Alabama, number four. They are my top four, and I believe that there's a bit of separation between those four and everybody else. So now let's get to everybody else. Let's talk about what became my tier two teams. And there was really four teams that I was I was debating, I was looking at, and I was I was looking at those, you know, five through eight spot in my top 10. And that was between Penn State, LSU, Florida State, and USC. And I won't take as much time, but let me just tell you what I what I like or trust about each of these teams. At number five, Penn State. This is a, a team that when you look at what they were able to do, they were able to go plus four in the win column this year from seven to 11 wins. Their only two losses were to Michigan and Ohio State. Um, it's a defense that is very good, uh, will continue to get better. Curtis Jacobs says he's coming back. Abdul Carter was a good young player. 
I know that they're going to be missing Joey Porter, but this is going to be a good defense. And then on offense, they've got those two running backs. Their offensive linemen's coming back fashion new. Like, they've got something there. They were really dominant in that Rose Bowl, and that's a, a real jumping-off point for them, in particular when you look at the fact that their quarterback, Drew Aller, who's going to be their quarterback next year, probably has a higher ceiling than Sean Clifford, who was their quarterback this year. And that's not a knock against Sean Clifford. Like, he, he had a pretty good year, a really good year. Penn State could be much better. And so I like Penn State at number five. I like LSU at six. And really, I, I settled on the fact that while LSU and Florida State and USC each have their quarterback coming back, and I probably ch- trust Caleb Williams the most of any of those quarterbacks, I think the element of what I really landed on is that Brian Kelly is a heck of a coach, and I know that he's going to continue to improve. Those young offensive linemen for LSU will continue to improve. That's a defense that will continue to get better. And under Brian Kelly, like we saw at Notre Dame, they will be a very formidable team. You can say it was an outlier to beat Alabama. It probably was, but they'll continue to get better. And so I'm going to go LSU at number six, Florida State at number seven. I I love what they did this year. I really do. I like Jordan Travis a lot. He's a talented player. And, And I put them above USC, who I put at number eight, really for the sole reason that while Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams should be an amazing offense, they just continue the same old status quo on defense. You know, they've come out and and Lincoln said after a deep dive uh, in his program that, you know, no changes are going to be made. And that's fine. That's, that's, you know, his discretion. There's no doubt. But something needs to change. If they're not going to change things on the staff, then they need to bring in different players uh, in order to improve that defense. And we've seen that from other teams, right? You can Im- improve your defense in a year, but they need to do that. And so I don't, it, I just trust Florida State more uh, with the year that they had over USC, who I put at eight. That was my tier two. And then the last two teams that made the top 10 in a debate uh, with everybody else who was in the almost category was number nine, Tennessee. And this was a big tip of the cap to that Orange Bowl win in which Joe Milton looked very good. The young wide receivers looked fantastic. I think Brew McCoy is going to be one of the better players in college football. And when you've got a quarterback that that, that can run that system like he did in the Orange Bowl with quality wide receivers in that system, the wide receiver choice route system, then you've got something and you've got something pretty special. And so Tennessee goes in my top 10 at number nine and then Washington at number 10. I think Washington is is a, a real dark horse playoff caliber team. You look at that team, they lost some close games, could have gone either way. Michael Penix and the combination between him and his former coach, now head coach, Kalen DeBoer, is a great combination. They've got good young pass rushers. They're talented on the outside. Washington's going to be a heck of a team next year. And so they found themselves in my top 10 right at that last spot at number 10. So Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, Penn State, LSU, Florida State, USC, Tennessee, and Washington in my way too early top 10 for 2023. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now let's move into the category of teams that didn't quite make it, but I think are going to be in the mix. And and certainly, I was having a lot of uh, a thought and debate about these teams as I as I looked at the top ten, in particular in those last few spots. Let me start with the team that just didn't make it, and that was Oregon. Okay, so we had Oregon in the bowl game. I love what Dan Lanning is doing. I think Dan Lanning is one of the, the best young coaches in America. Um, he, he is a guy that is not just about energy. There's a lot of thought behind what he does. I really enjoyed my uh, meetings with, with Dan before that holiday bowl. They went out and got the win against North Carolina, and – it's a good team. The reason, you know, and by the way, especially with with Bo Nix back, like they've got talent. You know, uh, Bucky Irving is back. They've got talent, and they recruited really well. They had probably one of the best actual signing days of anybody. The reason they didn't make it, though, was the fact that they lost four offensive linemen off of a team that was, let's face it, offensive linemen led. Okay, the their identity was held within those guys up front. They've got to run the ball. You know, Bo Nix is not a drop-back passer. You even saw that in the Holiday Bowl, in that game against North Carolina. There were moments when North Carolina either had the lead or or forced them into situations where they needed to be a drop-back team, and I, and I didn't love it. So that's why they didn't make the top 10. But having said that, they're very talented. I love Dan Lanning. Obviously, with a veteran older quarterback, that's a team that could be very good. Notre Dame was right there, a team that I was considering. I, I think that they're going to be very good uh, at the line of scrimmage on the offensive line. And I'm really excited to see what a, what a veteran like Sam Hartman can come in and do with a team that I think is going to have a better roster than what he's used to. Um, Marcus Freeman's doing a heck of a job, and I'm interested what Sam Hartman and Tommy Reese can do on that offensive side. Um, I also considered TCU. It's easy to say, oh, you know, this was a, a one year for TCU, and, uh, you know, they probably won't be as good. They don't have Quentin Johnston, and, and some of that offensive line is leaving, and I don't know what they're going to be on the offensive side. And that's fair. That's fair. I just don't want to underestimate TCU. Remember, Chandler Morris won the job in the preseason for a reason. And we can't just forget about that. So there, there's something special about Chandler Morris, even though Duggan took them after the Morris injury and obviously wound up in the national championship game. So I considered TCU there because they've earned that right. And they've recruited very well. And I love what Sonny Dykes is doing. And then three other teams that I considered before I get to kind of my last team was Clemson. I considered Clemson, and, and by the way, if they played like I expected them to play in the Orange Bowl, they would have been inside the top 10. Basically, they would have taken Tennessee's spot. So Tennessee at number nine, again, is the big tip of the cap to what they were able to do in the Orange Bowl over Clemson. You know, Clemson looked lost at times. Klubnik did not play well. Um, and after what we saw over the last, really, two years with the lack of development from DJU, we're going to have to wait and see with Clemson. Can they develop a quarterback? Can they continue to develop and get more explosive on the offensive side? Uh, they've got some talent, obviously, but but Clemson and that Orange Bowl loss uh, is the reason that they didn't make it inside. Utah, I considered them. Cam Rising is coming back. I don't know what his injury or the extent of his injury, I guess I should say, is going to be. 
how much is that's going to hinder his development and time in the offseason. So that remains to be seen. But I like Utah and obviously what they've done back-to-back Pac-12 championships. This is a team that's going to be there. And it's a team that that the blueprint under Kyle Whittingham is not going to go away in one year, right? This was not just, hey, they had that great player and now he's gone. This is a blueprint that has been tried and true. It's a program that wins a lot of games. They're tough, they're physical, and, and they're going to be right there again. Another program that is building themselves really in the same mold as Utah. They won't, they won't ever get kind of get this nod, but it's very similar to Utah is Oregon State. I considered Oregon State here. Did anybody realize that Jonathan Smith and the Oregon State Beavers just won 10 games? And they did it without great quarterback play. Now they get DJU. Uyunglele now transfers in in Corvallis. Listen, I don't know if he's going to turn into a great player. He struggled at times in Clemson. He was also great at times at Clemson. You think about what he was against, let's see, Wake in in that win this year over Wake. He was brilliant in that road game. If he elevates their quarterback play, they've already shown the ability that they know how to just sit there and run the ball and be physical and have an identity in order to win. So Oregon State's not going anywhere. And all of a sudden, now the Pac-12 becomes a really tough conference. I have two teams in the Pac-12 inside of my top 10. And now I'm sitting here and I've got three other teams in the almost category. And I'm not done with that Pac. Uh, do I keep saying Pac-10? I mean Pac-12. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's, is it going to eventually be the Pac-10? Should I continue to say the Pac-12? I'm not quite sure. Let's just stick with the Pac-12. Um, and then the last team in my almost category, and a, and a team that kind of fits in another category as well, and that's Oklahoma. Oklahoma, I considered in the top 10. And you might be thinking to yourself, really? Oklahoma in the top 10? Yeah. Oklahoma in the top 10. I considered them. For the reason that they just lost a ton of close games. There was really only two games that they got blown out. And by the way, in both of those games, they basically lost their quarterback. Either either he was knocked out of the game, Dylan Gabriel against TCU, or didn't play in, in the Texas game. And then when he was on the field, what did they do? Played one possession games. Unfortunately, they lost them all. They were like the 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 direct opposite of what TCU was this year. TCU was a team that when they got into a close game, they ended up winning that close game. And here's Oklahoma 0-5 in one-score games. So here's an Oklahoma team that won six games, and then they were 0-5 in one-score games. That easily flips. And when you're talking about possibly being in the top 10, you know, so I'm talking about top 12 teams in the country or better at the end of the year, what do all those teams have in common? Generally speaking, They have 10 or more victories, and I think Oklahoma could be in that category. They're a team that could climb very easily. This is a team that under Brent Venables has done a great job in recruiting, and with Dylan Gabriel back and healthy, I I just don't see a reason why Oklahoma can't improve dramatically, win some of those close games, and be a 9-10, maybe even 11-win team. And if they do that, what do they become? They become what is now pretty fashionable in college football, which is a climber. What's a climber? A climber is a team that can improve their win total from the previous year by four. That's a drastic improvement. And guess what? We saw 10 teams 
improve their win total by four wins this last year, just in the Power Five. There were more across college football, but just in the Power Five, 10 teams had four uh, victories, um, improved their, their, their total by four victories. Here's those 10 teams. Okay, and I'll give you exactly how much they improved by. TCU led, led the country uh, as far as Power Five teams with plus eight in the win column. They went from five wins to 13 wins, wild. Uh, Washington was a plus seven. They went from four wins to 11 wins. That's what a new coach and a new quarterback can do for you. USC was a plus seven as well. They went from four to 11. Speaking of new coach and new quarterback, just like Washington. Duke, quietly, plus six in the win win column from three to nine. Florida State was a plus five. They went from five wins to 10 wins. Really good year for Mike Norvell. Kansas was a plus four. They went from two to six. Tennessee was a plus four from seven to 11. Penn State, same, plus four, seven to 11. LSU was a plus four, six to 10. And Arizona, no one you know, even bats an eye because they didn't even go to a bowl. They went from one win to five wins. So they were a plus four. So those are your 10 teams that I would say were able to climb. You know, Plus four in the win column is, is a big deal. And so those, those climbers, that will be replicated in particular in this modern era of college football with the transfer portal, you know, combined with NIL really, is that you're going to see teams have the ability to change their fortune in one season and climb drastically. So who are the teams that that we look at, I look at, that could be those climbers? This is a really cool category because it's going to happen. It's going to happen, and it's going to happen every single year. And it'll be fun to try to look at the landscape and say, okay, what are what's changing? What type of transfers are going to which places? And which teams can make that leap and, and get themselves up into a tier where they are not currently occupying? I've got four. There might be more, and there probably will be more. But I've got four teams that I think – are my climbers for 2023. Do you know who I'm starting with? Do you know who I'm starting with? Oh, yeah, because he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming and he's bringing his Louie with him. Colorado. That's the easiest one. If you just say it right away, who are the teams that could improve their win total by four? Colorado is number one on the list. One, because they've got to improve from one win. They're like the Arizona of last year. All they got to do is get to five. Look what they've been able to do in the transfer portal. Deion Sanders is crushing recruiting. He went to a place that doesn't generally recruit well, and he has made them a destination. He's sitting there on the desk at the national championship game. He's all over social media. He's in the mix for guys like Cormani McLean, the five-star player, uh, who, by the way, why wouldn't Cormani want to go play for Deion Sanders and be tutored by one of the best corners in the history of the sport, if that's what Cormani wants to do is go play in the National Football League. But here's Colorado crushing it in the transfer portal, going to totally transform their roster. They'll probably have 2025 20, new players most of them, if not every one of them, better than what left. And that's the easiest one of them all. Colorado's absolutely going to be a climber next year. It's just a matter of can they get to five or is it six or is it seven or even more than that? 
They'll have a new quarterback. They'll have a new coach. They'll have a totally different identity and attitude, and the buffs are coming. Um, I don't know exactly how good they're going to be next year, but I can guarantee you they're going to be a climber. Now, I've got three more, and and, and these ones are maybe a little bit different, uh, more difficult to, to land on, namely because Colorado's so easy with that one win a year ago. How about Nebraska? Um, they've got a new coach, and we all, myself included, would say, like, Matt Rule's a really good coach. He's done a nice job in recruiting. He'll change the culture. Every time he touched a college program, he was able to succeed at Temple and then Baylor. So I don't think it's going to be different at Nebraska. And I know I've been tempered a little bit, and namely because I was so effusive of my praise and in my praise of Scott Frost at Nebraska and thought thinking that was going to be a home run hire, like most people, that I've I've – I've tread lightly complimenting Nebraska on their hire because Nebraska fans are like, we don't want to hear that from you. <laughs> and listen, I get it. I get it. But I do think that Matt Rule is is a heck of a coach. I, th- I, I really do. I think he's one of the best co- coaches in the country. And so can they go from four wins to eight wins? You bet. Now, it's difficult in that conference. It's easier in that division Their crossover game, I believe they're going to host Michigan, uh, which would be their toughest crossover game. But this is is a team that can absolutely go from four to eight. There's there's not a doubt in my mind. So Nebraska could be a climber. How about another one? How about Texas A&M? Now, you might roll your eyes at Texas A&M. And you know what? I understand. I get it if you want to roll your eyes at Texas A&M. But they only won five games. So all they do, all they need to do is get to nine and they do play four non-conference games in that conference, which helps. I believe that Bobby Petrino is going to improve their offense. Now, if you were going to ask me, hey, would you hire Bobby Petrino as your head coach? Answer is probably no, for the obvious reasons. We don't have to hash that out. But if you don't have to be the head coach, have that pressure, have that stress, be that focal point person, and you can just focus on what you're good at, then I think Bobby Petrino makes a lot of sense. I said all year long, and I want to remain consistent. People accuse me of being like an, an A&M hater. Not an A&M hater at all. I thought that they totally underachieved based on what their talent level was a year ago. That talent talent is for the most part, still there, in particular on defense. That talent getting a year older and developing is going to elevate their defense. Bobby Petrino calling the plays, being a fresh set of eyes on the offensive side. Listen, I think that this is a zero or a 10 proposition. It's either going to blow up with too many cooks in the kitchen, which it might. Like This might blow up Bobby Petrino and and Jimbo. Or it's going to work out really well. Um, I'm going to bet on the latter. I think that it's going to work out really well. I think that these fresh eyes, Petrino, as an offensive mind, is very good, very savvy, and I think that they're going to improve and go from five to nine. And then my last climber, and it's a team that I already touched on earlier, and they also fit into a a separate category, and this is really the team that I think um, we should all watch out for in the offseason. That's Oklahoma. They won six games. I already told you earlier they were 0-5 in one-score games. All they have to do is start winning close games, which they should do, 
And they're easily a 10-win team, maybe an 11-win team. And if they're an 11-win team, in particular in the regular season, 11-1, they would be playing for the Big 12 championship game. And if you're playing for the Big 12 championship game at 11-1, guess what? You're probably vying for a playoff spot. And if you're vying for a playoff spot, guess what? You are next year's TCU. So if we're looking for a team that is next year's TCU-style make-a-run-to-the-playoff, maybe even the national championship game, I'm looking at Oklahoma because in that conference, you have to understand everybody is mashed together. One of the reasons we got a TCU this year was that a team with a veteran presence, a very good quarterback, some good talent on the outside, they started winning those close games. That's exactly what TCU did. Five of them, I believe, one score games. They started winning those games and it perpetuated upon itself. And then all of a sudden they wind up in the Big 12 championship game. And because of, of, let's face it, kind of a wild year where Tennessee goes down for a second time, Alabama goes down for a second time, all of a sudden you look, look up, Clemson as an ACC champ is not getting in the playoff. And there's TCU in the playoff. That absolutely is the avenue that I see next year's Oklahoma Sooners. I think Brent Venables is a heck of a coach. I really do. I think this year was a, a ridiculously difficult situation to try to come in and succeed. And in large part, that's why they lost those close games. They will be better in a conference where just a little improvement takes you from 6 to 10 because you're not trying to jump big boys. This is not like Penn State. Saying like, well, we got to go conquer Michigan and Ohio State. This is not like Michigan State saying, okay, well, we're going to get to 10. Okay, who are you beating in your division? This is not like Auburn saying, okay, like we're going to be a climber. Who are you beating in your division? Okay, you see where I'm going with this. So part of this from Oklahoma and my belief in Oklahoma is that in that conference, you get a little bit better and you're going to separate yourself from the entirety because parity rules the day in the Big 12. TCU just proved that. So next year's TCU is Oklahoma. And my four team climbers are Colorado, Nebraska, Texas A&M, and Oklahoma in a big tip of the cap to the former Big 12. <laughs> the Big 12 that I remember and that I played in. Um, I, I really think that uh, those four teams have a great chance of adding four victories to what their win total was this year. One other quick note for uh, Oklahoma. A big reason why I think that they could have a monster year next year is the fact that because they're moving into the SEC, the game that they scheduled for non-conference play that was supposed to be played next year was against Georgia. And they don't play that game anymore. So they replaced, on their 2023 schedule, Georgia with, wait for it, SMU. Oklahoma can absolutely do this, folks. Oklahoma can absolutely do this. By the way, that also softens Georgia's schedule a lot. When you look at Georgia's schedule, you know why they're number one in my way too early? There's nobody on that schedule that really threatens them, even in the SEC East. Um Quick nugget on games that went away and makes those two schools uh, much easier as far as schedule is concerned. UCLA and Michigan not playing in what a game in, in a game that was supposed to be played next year, so they're not going to play. So those two schedules are going to get a lot easier. So there you go. There's a, a, a long thought process on next year, 2023, and I'm going to end with this. There's a team that is really talented. 
got the best recruit in the country, and everyone's going to be talking about him this spring, and I didn't mention him the entire podcast. And it's really a bit of a New Year's resolution, to be honest with you. You know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Texas. And I'm trying to make a New Year's resolution because if you've followed me for any amount of time, you know that I have been one of those guys that's like, yeah, Texas should be a lot better. Texas should be a lot better. Texas should be a lot better. Texas should compete for the Big 12 championship game. Texas should go to, you know, win 10 games and do all this stuff. And they just don't. They don't. They don't. And you know what? It's so frustrating. And it's like uh, the last five pounds that you try to lose and you never lose. And guess what? At some point, you just got to be like, okay, I weigh 190 and not 185. Like it is what it is because Texas constantly lets me down. And so my New Year's resolution is going to be Texas doesn't get my attention until they've earned it. Now, having said that, I reserve the right to throw away my New Year's resolution possibly January 15th if I want to. How about that? That's a good like that's a good rule. Everybody should be able to throw away their new year's resolution, but for now and for this podcast, I'm just not going to go into it, okay? So that's why I'm looking at you Oklahoma, I'm looking at you uh Sooners as as the team that's going to turn around and potentially win the Big 12 and crash the playoff party as a team that goes from like mid-tier 5 wins, 6 wins and then goes to the playoff. So the, that's where I'm going to fall with this uh, uh, way too early look at 2023. Um, thank you for listening. If you want to follow us, Joel Klatt Show, on social media, you can follow me at Joel Klatt, Instagram at Joel underscore Klatt. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you know when all of these off-season episodes drop. And uh, we will be back in the next couple of weeks. Hopefully, I'm going to have some more opinions um, on what's going on in the offseason, maybe some coaching carousel news, uh, things like that. And then I will begin to have some coaches on, and we will just discuss college football with those coaches. So pay attention to my Twitter and subscribe to the podcast so that you know when new episodes drop. And then also rate and review it uh, because we love to converse with you and, and see what you think of the show. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back with you here next week.